Hello there. Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor, and it's really wonderful to be with you today. Welcome to season two. We have some amazing conversations in store this season that will continue to deepen our knowledge of sustainability, as well as encourage us to take action in our lives and our careers. I know it can be confusing to know how to take the motivation or the passion we may have about sustainability and the environment and then go on to use it in the workplace. So please, Listen on to learn more about how Camille Sokeclair used her passion for protecting the planet to create Bloom Impact Investing, a climate impact investing app that wants to make impact investing more accessible. As someone who doesn't come from a finance background, I really don't know where to start with investing, so I'm very keen to hear more about Bloom from Camille. I do need to let you know that anything in this podcast does not constitute financial nor professional advice. With all that said, here's episode one, season two with Camille. In this week's episode, we'll be speaking with Camille Sokerclerc. Originally from the French Alps, she has worked as a marketing, communications and e-commerce manager for a decade before taking the leap of faith to co-found Bloom Investing alongside Bertrand Caron. Bloom is on a mission to build a carbon-free economy by making investing in climate change solutions easy and accessible. We are so excited to speak with Camille and learn about how she makes an impact in so many areas, including empowering females in STEM and climate-related initiatives. Welcome, Camille. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, Camille. And just before we start, I'm very interested in, I guess, how your childhood and early days were like in the French Alps, because a lot of our audience probably have not been there or maybe don't know much about it. So I'd love to hear about your experiences there. Yeah, sure. Uh, Look, I think it um, was a wonderful childhood um, spent a lot of time skiing in the mountains and being close to nature, um, growing up in a small village. So that obviously had a big impact on my view of the world and how much I love nature. Um, And later on, I did more hiking and mountaineering, seeing firsthand the impacts of climate change with Um, glaciers melting down and less and less snow every winter. Um, So, yeah, very scary to see that even on an individual um, short life scale, you can already see the impacts of climate change. But it has given me the inspiration to um, make it my life mission to act for climate impact. Wow, that's amazing. I think it's really cool how where you were brought up has had, I guess, a huge impact on what you're doing now in terms of the climate. And um, I want to I wanna touch more on your university experience. So I guess your studies were focused on more of a marketing lens. Did you have much exposure to the investment industry? Sure. And did you have any preconceived notions of the field at the time? 
Yeah. So it's true. I have a master's degree in business and marketing with a specialty in digital marketing, which was my passion for a long period of time. Um, and through this um, degree, I have studied the, um, I guess, the basics of finance. So markets, um, so macroeconomy and microeconomy, understanding how companies run, um, the basics of financial analysis. But that was really theoretical and, um, I guess, shallow, nothing to do with personal finances. So I had to upskill myself and um, do a lot of reading, learning um, to understand investing. First, when I was 20, I think I started investing when I was 25th, uh, 25, sorry, 25 years old. And um, sorry, it's been a long week. Okay. 25 years old. And so I started learning about it for myself. And then it's, it's only five years later um, that I started to think about it from a business perspective. And I started digging into impact investing. Amazing. And I guess what's the reason you wanted to get into impact investing was, was that mainly driven by climate change or environmental reasons? Or was there another factor? Mm. I guess you wanted to combine, I guess, yeah. both of them together. A couple of things. So it came both from a frustration, yeah. a personal frustration, and also a huge business opportunity that I had the opportunity to discover through my work with a clean tech accelerator called Energy Lab. So I'm going to start with the personal frustration. So when I worked for Energy Lab, which is one like the leading uh, clean tech accelerator in um, Australia, I could attend um, angel investing sessions. So I was lucky enough to see business um, businesses pitch to our angel investor group, to Energy Lab's investor group. And um, also I was sharing offices with the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So I learned a lot about clean tech uh, in general, but also the opportunity to invest in clean tech. But being an angel investor means taking a lot of risk and there's often a minimum transaction amount that you have to invest to support businesses, which is often around the ten dollars to $20,000. Um, in parallel, I was learning a lot about the transition in itself and how much growth was coming from new energy uh, power purchase agreements for um, solar projects and so on. And so I thought, well, I'm passionate about climate action. I already invest my money, but somehow I cannot invest in things that I'm really passionate about, which is, you know, clean tech and climate solutions. I was not rich enough to be an angel investor. And in the market, I could not find any product that had a genuine climate impact. I could see more and more ethical investing products. But as you know, I'm sure in this podcast, there's a big difference and a big gap between ethical and impact investing. Very quickly, ethical is simply removing the, I guess, the problematic industries such as tobacco, weapons, um, fossil fuels when you are lucky. Uh, some ethical investing do not necessarily screen out fossil fuels, by the way. Um, but impact investing, that's a lot 
more um, complicated, you are actively seeking to make a positive impact, you are seeking additionality, you are seeking um, measurement of a time, and there was nothing for retail investors like myself. So this grew into a personal frustration. And like I said, the opportunity um, was to see a raise in the climate consciousness. Um, so more and more people want to do uh, something for climate change. They want to have a positive impact, but we don't know where to start. We don't know how to make a significant um, impact. We all we all know how to recycle and do the basics, but we also know that it's not enough um, when we understand the scale and speed of climate change. And so Bloom was, in my mind, the best way, the most scalable way to address climate change at an individual level. I think finance, and this is how I got thrown in the deep end of finance, um, because of the potential for impact. It's highly scalable, and I truly believe that change happens where money goes. And so I didn't really got into finance because I loved finance. I got into finance because I know that this is one of the best, most scalable levers we can use um, in our climate action today. That's amazing. And I think what I really got out of that was that you spotted a gap in the market and you wanted to focus more on, I guess, impact investing. A key area of what we want to explore in Greenfluence is, I guess, the different types of responsible investing. So what's the difference between, say, ESG versus, say, ethical versus impact? So I found that like really interesting and eye-opening. Just going back a bit, what skills in marketing have you been able to use in, in your journey in Bloom so far? Well, to build a company, <laughs> you need to be, um, I mean, a business-to-consumer company, which I'm building. You need to be extremely consumer-focused um, and, and you need to truly solve people's um, issues and problems to be useful and to really um, break through the market. So. This is the key job of a marketer. Listen and know how to understand the customer, know how to serve them, know how to help them. Um, that's, that's what a good marketer does. So I think it's been an enormous advantage for me to come with a marketing um, background in financial services. I also, I think sometimes... Um, I'm not going to say ignorance because I've definitely educated myself along the way, but not being from an industry can give you um, an edge because you see things differently and you see what is dysfunctional and you can bring a new um, eye to that industry. And that's what I'm hoping to achieve with Bloom is a new new way to service customer, completely transparent um, and a lot more impactful than what people have done before and I do this because I am the customer I want to solve the problem for I know exactly what I want for my customers I spend a lot of time with my customers I know exactly what we want and I'm just flexing flexing the financial system and 
understanding compliance and regulations and finding new ways to answer those questions. Yeah, for sure. And I think there are also a lot of young people, especially say in university or just started in the workforce who really want to make an impact, but say they don't have a background in traditional finance or they might not find it as interesting. And I think your journey is a great example of the impact you can make with finance. So on that note, what advice would you give to young people who say are interested in say impact investing, but don't have that, don't have that background in finance? The, a really good way to start is to look at your own um, finance. I think it's the best way to learn because you really care about it, right? Um, so you can start looking at your super. You can start if you've started working. You can have a look at what your super invests in and start asking questions, looking at the, your super's website. Um, and then you can start really small. There are a ton of apps these days that let you invest small amounts. So I think for a young person who wants to build their skills, I would say the best way to learn is to actually have a bit of a skin in the game. And again, uh, like I said, it doesn't mean that you are going to invest all your savings. That's absolutely not what I mean. You should definitely educate yourself before doing reckless investing strategies. But um if you can even, you know, start with $50, $100, which you can quickly get if you have a side job outside uni, um, you can start learning how things work. And um, I guess the process of investing is daunting. The best thing you can do is to start. And that will really bring confidence. And in terms of the education um I would say there are some really helpful communities um, now online. It's it's fairly new. I would say they all have between you know two three years of existence, but they are incredibly useful. Um, I will give them a shout out now. So you've got the Ladies Finance Club, um, you've got My Millennial Money, you've got She's on the Money. These guys have really engaged Facebook groups where you can ask questions and you're not going to get judged. You don't necessarily, um, my personal view is that you don't necessarily to need to pay an expensive financial advisor, although if you can, that's wonderful, but you can definitely um, educate yourself. So this is on the investing side, impact investing. You can start with ethical investing and build from there. Um, and in terms of educating yourself, there are... A lot of good resources online. I personally really love um, following the head of um, ESG research and impact at RIA. Um, his name is Ryan. I His last name escapes me, but he's on LinkedIn and he shares really wonderful in-depth um, um, insights. And the other resource would be Jin. Um, so the Global uh, Impact Investing Network. Before knowing about impact investing, you can start with, well, do I know the basics? Do I know about personal finance first? Mm-hmm. Let's understand what, what it means to invest in the first place. What, um, what does it mean to have different asset classes? How, what does it mean to diversify? Just all, get all this clear in your mind and then you can go a step further, which is, all right, now that I know what investing means and where I can start, 
how to put a sound strategy, how can I actually make a positive impact with that. Mm. Um, so what we wanted to delve into more was about your personal experience starting Bloom. And so we'd like to hear about perhaps some of your greatest successes and also lows in this journey so far. Entrepreneurship is a wonderful journey. I cannot recommend it enough um, at any stage of your life and any shape or form. You don't necessarily have to quit your job. You don't. Um, there's many, many ways to be an entrepreneur. Successes and and um, and failures. I think um, one of our key success was to be. Um, slow and steady and be really disciplined about the way we validated our um, solution and business model. So often some founders can get really excited about their idea and they just forge ahead, they spend, they quit their jobs and then they find out that something just didn't work out or customers didn't really like their solution. I've gone the opposite way, <laughs> very conservative, and I strategically and repeatedly tried to prove that my idea couldn't work. And every time I could not prove, I could progress and I could continue spending time and effort into it. But I was very, very frugal in terms of how much I spent on it. And in fact, I had a full-time job at the beginning and then a part-time job it's only when we had a proper wait list for our um, app. So I think when I quit my job, we had 300 people on our wait list and over 3 million pledged on our wait list. So I thought, all right, this is, this is something. People really want this. Um, now I'm ready to, to give, it, give it a go. This has been one of the success. The community building has been wonderful. Um, I absolutely love our community. It's really engaged. People are really passionate about learning about how to invest in climate solutions and how to solve um, climate change. So this has been a big success. Um, raising, and finally, I will say, building a team around me. So when I started Bloom, I was alone. I did Bloom alone for almost a year and a half as it's, it's long and it's, it's hard. So it's a great success today to have a really wonderful team around me. Um, we have a marketing manager. I have a technical co-founder. I have an investment manager. I have an op operations, um, lead. And this is, um, this is a big success for us. And the final, the last one I would say is our, um, first fundraise. So this was a big, big milestone for us. So we were able to raise $675,000. And it's not really the amount that counts. It's the people behind you. And I'm very, very proud of the investors that are backing Bloom. They are very experienced business um, experts in all their different areas. So getting getting good it's not about it's not just about the money the money is an achievement in itself but getting the right investors is definitely one of our success so far mm. and in terms of failures there have been many 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 <laughs> to me failure to launch at speed um i think it would have been wonderful to launch bloom in 2019 but it took the time that it took um there were many 
hurdles, many compliance and legal um, problems that I had to solve before I could launch Bloom. One of the mistakes was being a bit naive about how much time it was going to take me to go through all these hoops. And one of the other mistakes I've done at the beginning is spending, not being confident enough, uh, waiting for too much advice, validation, feedback from people who actually didn't really understand what I was trying to do. I spent too much time on mentors, not enough time with customers. At the beginning, at the beginning, then I sort of like understood that, you know, actually people who have the answers sometimes are your customers. We've run over 25 events um, since Bloom started. So I got a chance to connect with a lot of people across Australia who are passionate about impact investing and, and also learn um, the all the webinars were a great way for me to educate myself because I could ask my questions directly to experts. So I got to talk to the best experts um, on topics like, on very niche and complex topics like investing in electric vehicles, investing in um, critical minerals, investing in waste. Um, so lots, lots of learning directly from people who are in the field driving investment in those areas. Very valuable. Um, and having that access to such great, I guess, mentors as well um, through this community. And, yeah, congratulations on the, the raise as well. It was big news. Thank you. Um, just quickly as well, how long was that waitlist process? Because when you think about it, you haven't, at that point, you didn't have a product per se. You're putting out your idea and you're putting it out to the world. That's right. Um, it's a bit of a feeling of uh, people are going to like it or accept it. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, of course. So um, like I said, I was very structured about the way we developed our startup. I followed a framework called the Lean Startup Methodology where you test and you um, try to learn as fast as you can and validate your um, hypothesis about the problem you are trying to solve. So the best way to do this is to sell. Sell something. And if a customer is paying for whatever you're offering, then you have validated to an extent that you are working on the right thing. The problem is in financial services, you cannot sell anything before you have your financial license. So it was a big bit of a catch-22. I was not allowed to sell anything. I was not allowed to give financial advice. So the best way to test was to run events to see if people were interested in investing in those areas and also um, pitch my idea as a wait list and say, look, I'm building an app that will do this and that. Do you want to be part of it? And as part of this wait list, um, I'm asking... Um, so people to sign up, but also make a pledge to invest. And this is also to gauge how much interest there is and how much people are willing to invest. I think I just subscribed as well. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, because um, I, like like for me, ethical investing has been really interesting, quite interesting. And like, um, I recently and oh, I've been, I've I've invested in a fund, but like I want to continue that sort of journey and look into impact investing. And as you mentioned, like a huge barrier is the cost. And if you if you 
make it more accessible, then mm. I think it's only valuable for more people. So I can very quickly dig into this. So in Australia, you have different types of investors. You have a retail investor, which is mums and dads. Yeah. Um, I'm a retail investor. And then you have what we called um, sophisticated investors. Sophisticated investors means you have um, a 2.5 million net wealth and your accountant um, can, I guess, um, assess your wealth and can certify that you are okay to take on more risks. Um, and then you've got a wholesale investor. So wholesale investor typically invest large amounts. Often the threshold is at um, $50,000. So the problem with impact investing these days is that when you want to invest, most of the time you will be required to be a sophisticated investor or a wholesale investor. So to invest large, yeah. large amounts. And not everyone can do that. I would just add that it's often for sometimes for a good reason. Um these things are in place to protect retail investors. Impact investing or angel investing, for example, is a risky, um, and angel investing can be a risky strategy. Yeah. So these protections are in place so that retail investors do not lose all their money on risky investments, I would say. That being said, you have now crypto not re- not very well regulated people can absolutely lose a lot of money on there and this is definitely happening for a lot of young people so yeah but the intent behind those regulations is to protect the retail investor so we've had a lot of questions from the Queenslander community and we wanted to delve into um your strategy so we understand at the moment that you are putting these investments into a framework which was based on over 80 climate solutions from Project Drawdown. Mm-hmm. And this is all to society transition to a net zero carbon economy. Yeah. Um, can you tell us why you ex- selected this framework or these areas and how this ties into your overall mission? This is something I really love and I'm really excited about. So I. So Bloom um, flip the, flips the um, traditional finance screening process on its head. We are impact first and then we do the financial analysis. I will explain a bit, um, a bit more. It's really important for me that Bloom only invests in solutions that have been scientifically proven to be helping the transition towards a net zero economy. I do not want to invest in false solutions like sustainable fashion. Mm. Sustainable fashion is great, but it's not going to take us to where we need to be in, in less than 10 years. I want to invest in solutions that take gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere. So to do this, uh, I'm not a scientist. And I think the best way to do this is to just listen to the best science available. And one of the, so the IPCC report is a great um, first place to understand what we need to do. And then 
two of the frameworks we've been using at Bloom are the Project Rodown, which is a global model um, that maps the transition to a safe climate, so 1.5 degree warming. So how do we get to there in time? And what do we need to invest in to get there? They have listed over 80 climate solutions. It's very, very varied from recycled paper to um, energy storage to distributed energy to alternative refrigerants, things that are a bit obscure. It's not just solar. There are a lot of things that we need to do um, to in order to remove carbon emissions at scale. I've also looked at, we've also used um, the Climate Works model. So Climate Works is a think tank and not-for-profit organizations that also help map and model the transition, but in Australia specifically. However, we do invest overseas and in Australia. So we, we needed a, um, a global model. And this is why we took the project drawdown because it's looking at emissions on a global scale. But we also use climate, um, climate works work for um, our Australian investments. And so the process is we start with um, a universe of investments. So the first screen is, do this investment belong to at least one climate solution? If not, it's out. That, it's that simple. And then once we have done the analysis on all the investments and make sure that they genuinely, um, so this is a very manual process, a lot of research, we just make sure that the company or the project or really deserves to be attached to a climate solution. And then we do the financial analysis. In our team, um, this is the work that our financial, um, our investment manager does then. And so, he then looks into all the regular metrics that other managers do. So the health of the business or the project, um, the growth, um, the projections for the year ahead, um, just, just the risks, all of these um, generic metrics. And so once, so essentially there are two um, steps the screening, the impact screening that needs to be ticked and then the financial screening that be that needs to be ticked and then all our assets are to be distributed in a growth diversified strategy. So the fund invests in um, a multi-asset strategy and we, because our fund is for young people, it's rather a growth uh, product with, Roughly 80% of our portfolio position for growth and 20% position to be defensive. So, as you know, less returns, but a bit, um, bit safer, less volatile. Do you take into account any particular like ESG analysis in this too? Yes, of course. So, um, I'll give you an example. In our Electric vehicles is a solution we really wanted to invest in. But you have many car dealers, car makers on the market that you can invest in. Obviously, you've got Tesla, NIO in China. So companies that solely do electric vehicles. But 
in the grand scheme of things and the number of cars on the road, you cannot um, you cannot ignore other car makers like Toyota, Honda, and so then what we do is we take um, the biggest car makers and then we assess which ones are best positioned and most genuinely committed to um, transitioning to away from combustion engines to um, a true electrification strategy. So this is this is what I mean by doing our ESG work. So when we have a long list of potential investments that they've passed the impact, they've passed the financial screen, then sometimes what helps us um, put an asset out or in is that ESG um, ESG research. So we definitely look into um, social aspects, um, supply chain issues, governance. So once we've done this and there are a few cases that we are not sure about, we have our investment committee. Um, so it's a formal independent um, board of experts, a panel of experts who then help us take a decision and guide us in, in I guess, making the right call. What I gather, you start at the impact. So, you know, like what the impact it has on society in 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 terms of the outcomes it creates? Positive, positive screen first, as opposed to, right. like I said, a lot of people start with a negative screening. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I find it disappointing. I think excluding people yeah. because they don't, um, I think it's a bit basic and we need to go a step further. That's sort of, I guess, the difference or, or one of the differences between impact versus ESG. I feel a lot of ESG looks into more negative screening um, yeah, they want to exclude right. tobacco, exclude certain yeah. things, and then choose a portfolio. Yeah. Um, but then the other interesting thing that I want to touch on, I guess how you mentioned how you do look into an ESG analysis a bit later on in the track. Um, and and that is focused on both the social and the governance side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, would I be right in saying that as well? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So um, look, no no, no asset pass, passes the, the investment process without a good look on ESG um, screens. If we might have a wonderful, I don't know, battery storage um, company, but if if they have true, genuine issues with um, uh, modern slavery, you know, it's a no for us for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, we we do definitely um, get yeah, do this screen as well. On that note, is that Bloom has invested in quite a few listed companies, green bonds, clean energy infrastructure projects. So. How do you diversify the portfolio to maximize its impact both financially and also on climate change? And mm-hmm. how do us as investors see that our money is helping real-world outcomes? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, it, and it's borderline more of a question for my investment manager, but I'll try to reply as best as I can. Um, so we diversify geographically. Uh, we diversified across asset classes and we diversified um, across industries. So we don't invest, we try to not over-index on any climate solution. So we don't invest everything in solar. We don't invest everything in wind. We try to cover as many areas as we can. So we have waste, we have clean water, we have um, we have um, alternative cement, we have green buildings, 
I'm not saying that we invest in all the climate solutions, but we definitely try to diversify so that our investors are not exposed to too much concentration on energy, for example. Um, so that, that's that's one way we do this. So we monitor the exposure per industry and the exposure per geography. And then um, we picked we picked specific investments for um, the defensive part of our portfolio. And we keep, um, we try to, go to, to take a good balance between liquid assets yeah. and illiquid assets. Um, for retail investors, it's very important that our portfolio, um, not very important, it's actually um, man- mandated by law that our portfolio must be liquid, um, meaning that we can sell quickly some of our assets so that our um, investors can withdraw their money without trouble, uh, which is very, very important. So hence why we have almost 80% of our portfolio um, on listed equities. So big um, to medium market cap companies listed on different stock exchanges. But we also have our differences that we have projects in Australia that no one um, can invest on their own. And you won't um, find this anywhere else. Um, projects and clean um, clean energy lending, green bonds that are also not um, really easy to access if you were to invest and build your own portfolio. Our investment horizon is five to seven years. Yeah, this is the amount we recommend. This is the amount of time that we recommend people to um, to invest because we believe in long term investing. Um, sustainable returns, you know, have been really high performing in the last few years. They have, um, you know, there's, there are many studies that really dive into the ESG outperformance. So I won't go into, into this too much, but, um, yeah, we, we believe that long term investing is, is required, especially in impact investing. What would it mean to invest with impact and then just for a few days and then mm. try to try to make the biggest profit on top of it and um, trading doesn't make much sense in impact investing. Impact investing is creating a long-term measurable impact. So it wouldn't make sense to try to buy low and um, and sell high. It's, it's, not, it's not really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to invest in a really sound, interesting, innovative companies that are solving problems and climate change is not going to be solved with a few trades. Um, It needs long-term new innovation, new energy. Clean tech needs support for the long-term. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely agree. And I think like, it's not only say for me to invest, it's for me to build a community and get people around who share the same vision and I think Bloom has really been focused on creating that community. And that's something that we're also trying to do at Greenfluence. So um, I guess like you guys have been involved in quite a few meetups, a few social events, things like that. What are some misconceptions that people face when you know they want to join these communities? And how do we get people to not only join as investors, but to share knowledge and to and to build a community and get other people involved? These are all questions I've asked myself when I started those events. I think there's a big um, there's a big issue around censoring. People don't feel comfortable talking about finance sometimes, 
or they feel like they don't belong to certain circles. I found in the past that Impact Investing was a very exclusive um, club. You often had to pay, you know, 250 to attend a conference. And I really wanted to change this, which is why I've made my events free. And I wanted everyone to be able to tune in from Zoom for free um, to, to learn. So that really making this accessible was important for me. So yeah, one, one misconception I think is our impact investing is just for the rich. Um, it doesn't uh, impact me or it's not going to be useful for me. Another misconception is I don't know enough or investing is overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Um, there's no right amount of knowledge to start getting curious about impact investing. I think everyone can be an impact investor. Mm. Um, starting with your super, you can be an impact investor. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's some of the misconceptions. And the last one, of course, is our impact investing doesn't perform. I have to give away returns for yeah. impact, which is often a misconception. I think from my point of view as well, um, it's also that, as you mentioned, people still think there's a trade-off between of making a return and making an impact. And also the fact that even in a lot of universities, this sort of knowledge is not taught. It's very traditional finance. So I think a lot of people, a lot yes. of students through no fault of their own, like have not really seen this in action, which I think is, is something, you know, that needs to change. And that leads me up to my, that leads me on to my next question. The whole idea of climate of climate impact investing, um, why is that the best way to contribute to climate change? Um, why didn't you, say, do something in terms of environmental conservation or things like that? Environmental conservation is also a great way to tackle the climate crisis. I am not saying that finance is the only way. Yeah. It's one piece. Uh, in fact, um, you know, conservation and forest um, management um, sustainable agriculture is a huge, huge um, part of the solution. When I started looking into my um, personal footprint, I was absolutely shocked to learn that on average, an Australian would have a 15 to 17 tonnes of carbon emissions per year. This is huge. And I started looking into ways to reduce this and I started asking myself but what does truly make a difference like how much tons of CO2 do I take off when I recycle how much can I take off when I um, reduce meat in my when I switch to a plant-based um, food um, intake what if I ditch my car and then um I started to look into finance and I just realized that a big part of your impact um, can be through your superannuation and through your investments. So this is, this is why I started um, building a climate impact investing app because I think people get really worried about all the things they don't do. But I think a great way to start making impact at scale is to look at your finance. And I want to make it really easy. And there are people doing wonderful things in the green super space um, to really switch your money power for impact. Um, I won't name all of them, but Future Super, Verve Super, Aware Super um, are making a wonderful job. And switching your super is 
and investing in climate impact is really, really impactful way to make a difference. And so when we look at now your point of differentiation, what do you, because there aren't, I guess, many players in this space yet, it's a very nascent um, area that you are and building bloom in, what do you think would be the main barrier for stopping the widespread uptake of an impact investing platform like Bloom in Australia? When you have spoken to people in your community mm-hmm. about their concerns in downloading your app or giving you money, how are you addressing these? I've done a lot of interviews and user tests, and one thing that comes up often is people want to make a difference, but they don't have the time to do the research. That's one of the barriers for impact investing. It's really hard to truly understand. Impact is really hard to understand. And getting into the nitty-gritty of climate impact is also very technical and tricky. So this is why we offer a fund that has already all the assets in them. We've done the research. People don't have to pick and choose. People get really frozen when they have to pick and choose the actual stocks and investments they need to invest in. So that's one buyer. Um, The other one is time. Our typical customer has between 30 and 40 years old, quite busy um, professionals who often work full-time in demanding industries, They want something simple. So we made our investment available on an app. You can sign up in five minutes. You can set up auto-invest. It's set and forget. Super easy. The third one, the third barrier is um, greenwashing. So I think people are getting clever and clever. And what might, I guess, prevent people from getting into impact investing, whether or not the impact lens is genuine. Um, So the way we've gone around that is by doing, well, doing the work, doing the hard work, the research, but also being extremely transparent. So in the app, um, every investor will see all the investments in the fund and we will detail exactly why we picked it and why is it making a positive impact? We are working on measurement tools. This will take time because it's very complex, but we are measuring our impact and we will refine our measurement tools as we go. So I think this might be the, the blockers. Um, daunting, where do I even start? I don't have time. Is it greenwashing? Uh, am I rich or not? Am I rich enough? Do I have enough money? So we've started our investment process at $500, which is not a small amount. Um, But again, going back to this belief of investing for the long term and being here to make a positive, genuine impact and making good returns, not getting all your account balance eaten up by fees, we thought that $500 was an ethical threshold. I think when you look at other uh, micro-investing apps that say Spaceship or other ones, 500 seems quite reasonable as well because you were also in the mindset that, you know, one day this might be going to a super fund or 
you're going to be in there for the long haul. Yeah, exactly. And it takes time to build wealth. You know, people might start small and then, you know, you change careers, you change jobs and you start earning a bit more. So we, we want to, we want to support people from wherever they can start. Impact does require money in our world. <laughs> so, um, I, I really do like your approach to transparency, particularly through the education aspect and building the community around it. And so not only is the community important, but also the partnerships with your startup. Um, what, what have you found in your journey to be most critical in gaining trust and reputation prior to the launch? Um, and have you targeted any particular partnerships that have been very critical in enable, enabling mm. or Bloom to grow? We do, we do have very exciting partnerships in the pipeline, but I cannot share um, them with you just yet. Um, what's been really critical is um, getting the right network. So that has been a three, almost three years, three years journey. Um, and that's just me meeting a lot of industry experts. I've done a lot of interviews at the beginning of my journey, um, literally, you know, picking up my phone and talking to impact investing experts and asking lots of questions. So I think it's been critical to really understand the problem I wanted to solve and really do my, you know, really do my research before I even ask anyone for help or advice so that they could confidently know that I was very serious about it and they were not wasting their time. Um, and in terms of partnership, what's been most important for Bloom is to find value alignment. So we have organizations that we will help and we will get help from who are very aligned in our climate impact mission. So I think that's been that's been critical. Bloom is a um, I guess almost independent. We have found the right trustee, the right fund administrator to handle the back end of our systems. Um, and we have found a wonderful investment, very experienced investment manager. Um, yeah, that has been key to bring on the right partnerships. On that note, in terms of partnerships and having the right investment manager, um, I've, I've read a lot of things that suggest it's it's very hard to sort of measure impact investing. Like I've heard about the gin, it provides a guide and there are all these different frameworks. So what's the best way to go about it? Like, do you guys have certain principles you follow or like are there certain metrics when mm. say Bloom wants to assess a potential, uh, like a potential company for their portfolio? Everyone in the industry is scratching their head on this topic. <laughs> There's yeah. no good answer. But we are starting to be a bit clever, although there is still no industry, um, you know, standard on how to do this. There are a couple of tools that help you um, manage your climate risks and climate um, temperature alignment. We have used um, a tool called EMI, um, which is a great um Great startup in Sydney who does a lot to help um, investment managers understand their climate um, profile and carbon footprint of their portfolio. Um, otherwise, it's been a lot of manual, you know, manual reporting and research. But we are looking at ways to 
improve our impact measurement and our impact framework. But the unfortunate thing about this is it's a really resource-intensive process, which means that small com- it's, it's harder for small companies. But we will definitely start by measuring simple things like, you know, output in terms of clean energy, so how many megawatts we've been able to put into the market, um, tons wherever possible, tons of CO2 um, saved in the atmosphere. And um, this, this all depends on each company and each project reporting, which, which is tricky. Some, some yep. of your projects will report on it very well and you'll have the data. Some won't yet. You know they are making a big impact and you know they are yep. worth, in, in, worth investing in. So all that to say you have to be a bit flexible yeah. and not be too um, bogged down into pure measurement. This leaves us on a good note to ask about what is Bloom's vision for the future and what are the exciting things that will be in store? So our vision is to empower people to own and benefit from the clean energy transition. And we want to make make climate impact investing super easy and accessible so that millions of Australians can grow their wealth whilst making a positive impact. So that's how... Horizon, uh, North Star, we won't stop until we get there. Bloom has a very exciting um, journey ahead. We are launching in a month. So you can join our waitlist today and um, late February, you'll be able to join the app and start investing with Bloom. And then we have exciting plans to expand our um, activities to green finance in general with partners. So we also want to look at um, sustainable lending, sustainable banking, um, and and see how we can help our community um, green their finance across the board, not just investing. And, of course, we have um, big global ambitions. We don't want to stop at Australia Climate um, impact investing is a global movement, so we are definitely looking at expanding internationally. So that's for more for 2023-2024. Super exciting because a lot of a lot of members of our community are actually, are actually quite entrepreneurial and will definitely find a lot of benefit in hearing more about your journey. Uh, so now we're going to head to the speed round questions, Camille. Um, these are probably going to be around a minute. So are you ready for them? Yes, perfect. Firstly, what are your book recommendations and who are people that we should follow in the space? Shoot, that, that's hard. <laughs> um, William Wu um, is an ESG specialist in um, Australia that I really love and I follow his insights. He's also a um, professor at um, the University of Sydney in sustainable finance. That's definitely something you should, um, someone you should follow. Um, another one is RIA, so the Responsible Investment Association in Australia. Um, I think they often release in- interesting reports. I follow experts in their own um, industries. The next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Start earlier and be more confident. Third question. How do we keep our financial institutions and also our governments um, and how do we keep them accountable on climate and sustainability issues? Personally, 
I do two things. When I can, I go on the street and I um, join the climate march. Um, I think it's really important that we make our voices heard um, when there's big, um, you know, big political movements in the street that we can support. Um, I should definitely, I would definitely recommend joining those. And the second one is just switching your finance. It makes a big, it makes a big difference to show government and private companies where our money goes. And vote, of course, vote. Vote, vote with the climate in, 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 in mind. Ben, what is one emerging ESG trend that is changing invest, investing behaviour? I'm personally worried about critical minerals in sustainability. I think it could be a huge bottleneck for um, the climate transition. So I think um, that's going to be a key problem to solve for um, investors. And the last question, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your organisation? Uh, join our community on Meetup. Um, we, you can find us by just searching Australian um, Impact Investing um, Meetup Group. Otherwise, jump on our website, sign up to our waitlist and follow us on social media. We are active, super active on Instagram and LinkedIn. We share um, a lot of educational resources. So follow us on those two channels. For sure. I've seen quite a few of those infographics. I find them really helpful. The ones you you guys put up. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. actually really good. (laughs) Thank you so much, Camille, for coming on to our podcast today. And we've really appreciated your insights, both from an entrepreneurship point of view and also understanding more about the impact investing landscape. Um, It's definitely something that needs to be demystified more, particularly as young people are looking more to make an impact in this world. And it's so great to hear that there is going to be an option to do that through uh, your app. So we highly encourage all our listeners to go to your website, sign up for the waitlist. Bloomimpact.com. If any questions to contact us and also we'll have to join your meetup groups. And this is definitely an area that I find so interesting, ESG. So I've learned a lot and I want to thank you so much for your time on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Great questions. And yeah, it's been lovely chatting to you both. What do you think of Camille and Bloom investing? I find it motivating to hear how she has a clear passion. In fact, it's her life's mission to act for the climate, to help us reduce our impact on it, to get to that net zero target. And we can clearly see how she has been in living out that purpose through her work and also through encouraging others. Amazing work, Camille. The Bloom Investing app will be live this coming April. So if you want to check it out, join the waitlist. The link is in the show notes. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So please connect with us on Facebook and LinkedIn to join our GrowInfluence community. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with the latest episodes. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. Well, that brings us to the end of our first episode for season two. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll catch you in the next episode.